You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You've heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It has been said, Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. You have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 21-47, abridged. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, let's go. There's so much to unpack here in this message called The Perfect Life. I'll start with this. My eight-year-old daughter, Kendall, when I'm taking her out on a date, refuses to get in the car unless I come around and open her door. And yeah, I know a lot of you are thinking, that's my girl right there. Go ahead, Kendall. And it's true. It's, it's important that she has set a standard in this way and she will not budge. She, she refuses at, at all costs. So, so guess what I do when we're going on a date? Yeah, I go and open the door. So two months ago, it's, it's Valentine's Day, 7 a.m. and we're on the way to IHOP for a breakfast date. It's like five degrees outside. There's ice on the windshield. We get out of the house, down to the car. I realize I forgot my keys. So I run back inside. I have to look around for my keys. I don't know how long I'm there, but it's a minute. Anyways, I find my keys. I run back down to the car, jump in the car to start the car. And I'm thinking, you know, Kendall, she'll, she'll do the reasonable thing and at least get in the car out of the wind, you know, bundle up on her seat and warm up. But I get in the car and she's not in that car. 
So I look around and there she is like right through the passenger window out there, like shivering, just waiting for me to make eye contact with her so she can remind me kind of aggressively, like with her eyes and her body that she's expecting me (laughs) to come around because this was in fact a date. Her expectations had not changed and I had better get my butt out of that car, walk around and open the door for her. This amazing young woman that is my daughter had set a standard and she would not be moved. She didn't care how cold it was. Come on, that's good stuff. And and isn't this true? Isn't it true that there's something inspiring about those moments when someone sets a standard that is good and right and refuses to budge? It's inspiring. Now, here's what I want. When we hear Jesus's words, this impossibly high standard he's calling us to, this call to perfection, I want us to be inspired. I want Jesus's call to perfection to stir up in us a tremendous amount of hope. I want us to hear Jesus's call to perfection and find in it both hope and direction. I want it to become for us a reminder that ultimately of where we're going, as well as important data for our next steps today and tomorrow and the next day. So we can head in that direction. I want Jesus's call to perfection to inspire us, to give us hope. Okay, so let's start with hope. Let's start with the dream. Let's begin with a vision for what things look like when Jesus has everything he wants in terms of his call to perfection. So let's look at our solar system. Because there's something true about our solar system that is also true about you. And it's something that gets at the very heart of Jesus's desires for the thing we also actually all hope for. So here's what's true about our solar system. It can be described as a cosmos because it is a complex system of many parts that all function together as a unified whole. It's a beautiful thing, really. It's awesome and inspiring and good because this cosmos's many parts function as a unified whole. And because of that, life within this system is possible. Now, here's something true about you. You are a complex system of many parts. Think about all the parts of you. You have your career, your hobbies, your friendships, your body, You have your romantic relationships, your mind and your thoughts, your dreams and goals, your desires, your values. You have your finances. You have your belongings. You are a complex system of many parts. That's not all, though, because there's more to this thing that is true about our solar system that is also true about you. And here's what it is. You take the sun out of the center of our solar system and this cosmos becomes a chaos. This solar system only functions as a cosmos because of this right here, the sun. This solar system operates as a unified whole where life can flourish because it has a center that is so heavy and so weighty that all other parts of the system can orbit around it. Now, you take away the center and you have total chaos. Planets flying around like bogeys and bandits, crashing into each other. 
It becomes a picture of pain and chaos, a place where life cannot be found. Now, back to you, because the same thing is absolutely true about you. You are meant to be a cosmos and not a chaos, which means you need a center. You need that one thing that is heavier and weightier and bigger than anything else that all other parts of your life can orbit around. If you don't have a center, if I don't have a center, my life becomes a chaos. My finances end up colliding with my values. My actions crash into my dreams. My friendships and my romantic relationships collide. My career and and my other relationships, they crash into each other. And my experience ends up being more of one like survival than like flourishing and thriving because in chaos, there is no lasting peace or joy, only moments between the sense of dodging bullets. Chaos is not the dream. Cosmos is the dream. The thing we all hope for is cosmos, peace and life. And that means we need a center, a center so great that all other parts of our life can orbit around. We're not dodging bullets and dodging planets. It's functioning because it has a center. Now, check out this thing Jesus said about who or what needs to be our center. Now, this is Matthew 16. Jesus is much farther along in the building of his movement. The nation of Israel had witnessed many miracles at this point. They've been amazed at Jesus' teaching. And they've been amazed at the vision for humanity that he has presented. Like literally everyone is talking about Jesus. So Jesus pulls aside his disciples and has this conversation. This is verse 13. It says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Like in other words, Where are people placing me within this system? How are they making sense of me? They they replied, verse 14, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In other words, well, Jesus, you know, folks are a little all over the place. They agree that you're not small potatoes. You're not just one of like the 200 billion smaller stars in this solar system. There's pretty much consensus that you're a larger force to be reckoned with. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say one of the other prophets. Well, Jesus responds in verse 15. He says, well, well, what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Like basically he said, well, from what I can gather, based on what we know about your birth, Jesus, the way you were conceived, this whole angel Gabriel speaking to your mother thing, the, the reaction of the prophet Simon in the temple, the, the fact that we all kind of audibly heard God claim you as his son at your baptism and the way that dove flew down and landed on you, the way we've been able to watch demons obey you and the way we've seen you heal and restore, the way you've taught your vision for what it means to be truly human, how all of it's so incredible and mind-blowing the way you seem to be fulfilling all these prophecies from our ancestors. You know what I think? I think you're the Messiah. I think you're this one here at the center, the son. You are the Lord. 
You are the one I will build my entire life around. You're the center. You are the thing around which all other parts of my life can orbit. Jesus replies, verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jodah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I actually wonder here if Peter was a little surprised. I wonder if he was thinking to himself, okay, like, wow, I, I wasn't expecting all that. I mean, I think all I did was answer one question correctly. And you want to give me the keys to the kingdom. Like, Jesus, like, do you remember, like, two days ago, you called me dull because I didn't understand the thing you said about being defiled by what goes out versus what comes in. And and just before that, you were actually really frustrated with me because you were talking about some deep spiritual thing. And I thought you were just talking about real bread and yeast, but you were talking about something deeper and, and I was hungry and it was annoying to you. And And maybe you remember that I didn't even have enough focus to walk to you on the water and you had to rescue me. I think you're going a little overboard, Jesus. But but Jesus here is like, no, no, you don't understand. What just came out of your mouth, Peter? Your your conviction that I am the center of all things, your decision that I will be the center of your life, that's everything. The other stuff, it'll all get sorted out in time. But But the most essential thing, the starting point for obtaining the perfect life, the starting point, for having the chaos of your life begin to transform into a cosmos, the path to your lasting peace and joy. You found it. You found it. Now, every part of your life can begin to function as part of a cosmos and not a chaos. You found a center. Every part of your life can be brought to order. The parts of your life that were kind of bogeys and bandits flying around, crashing into each other, causing pain and frustration. The parts of your life that caused the most chaos. We can start pulling them into orbit because you have a center. Your finances now have a center around which they can orbit. Your relationships have a center around which they can orbit. Your career choices, your insides and your outsides, it can all be aligned. Because you have a center around which all things can orbit. You have found the path to the perfect life. So the question this morning is this. What about you? Have you considered who or what is being treated as if it were the center of your life? Many of us, we don't actually stop and consider this. We're not intentional about who or what we're placing at the center. And as a result, we try to live with different things at the center. For a while, a job or career kind of serves as the center. 
For a while, a, a relationship kind of serves as the center. For a while, a movement or a campaign serves as the center, so on and so forth. But we end up realizing that it doesn't work because none of those things are weighty enough or big enough to actually be the center. My relationships can't orbit around a career. My finances can't orbit around a relationship. Jesus says that the key to the perfect life is deciding to make him the center. His teaching, his life, his love, his sacrifice. Our chaos begins to transform to cosmos when we start asking about each part of our life. How can Jesus' life, his teaching and his love be at the center? The center of my relationships, the center of my values, the center of my career choices, the center of my finances and my habits. In fact, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this most amazing message that we've been reading this entire season of Lent, It is nothing short of Jesus' vision for what it means to be truly human by having Jesus at the center, by having a perfect center. So it's with all this in mind that it seems more than appropriate to conclude this service with communion. And, And I want for us to think of communion as an opportunity for us to, to really place Jesus at the center of our lives. Like, like literally we're going to eat and drink the life of Christ and, and bring it into our insides and into our, our bellies, which is our very center. And it's an opportunity for us to say, okay, I, I need a center and there's no better option than Jesus. His, his teachings, his life, his love and his sacrifice are going to be the center of my life. So we, we take communion because Jesus in his last supper with his disciples in the middle of the supper stopped and said this. And we read this in Matthew chapter 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So it's been really interesting. Actually, I just finished a reading plan of the Bible. It's on the YouVersion Bible app. It's called the 30 day shred. And it's a challenge to read the entire Bible in 30 days. And it has been a beast. But one of the most interesting things I've picked up on, especially back in the Old Testament, in the most sacred texts of the Hebrew people, as God is giving his law for for eating and consuming, especially when it comes to animals, over and over and over again, the direction is this. You're going to eat the animal, but pour out the blood. You can eat the animal, but don't eat the blood. Consume the animal. Go ahead, enjoy the meat. But the blood, no, the blood does not go inside of you. Why? Because the blood is life. So eat the animal, but don't eat the life. The life of the animal, you do not eat over and over and over again. And now, isn't it amazing here that Jesus is saying, eat my life and drink my life. Take into the very center of your being, the bread and the cup 
that, that symbolizes my body and my blood. Take it in, eat it, consume it. Let it be at the center of you. It's with this in mind that I just want to give you a few moments to go ahead and take the bread and the cup in communion. So I'd like to close with this. First, if you have today made what I believe is the best decision you could ever make in your whole life, and you've decided to make Jesus Christ the center of your life, I want to say, first of all, congratulations. Like, let's go. That's huge. And I'd love for us to be able to follow up with you and encourage you and pray for you. So let us know in the chat. And secondly, I just want you to know that your transformation toward cosmos from chaos, it won't happen all at once. It's actually a, a process that happens over time. From the moment we, we gain a center, one by one, the parts of our lives slowly begin to be pulled into orbit of that center. And it's a process that takes the rest of our lives. But the promise is that the good work will be brought to completion. In the meantime, I want you to know that this church is here for you. And finally this, I want you to be excited about something that you are now a part of that is much bigger than yourself. Because the reality is, is that right now, our nation and our entire world is operating as a chaos without a center. Nations are crashing into each other. Communities are crashing into each other. But here's the dream. Every life that begins to operate as a cosmos with Jesus at the center is one person closer to a community that operates as a cosmos with Jesus at the center, which is one community closer to a nation that operates as a cosmos with a center, which is one nation closer to a world that operates as a cosmos with a center. And this is God's dream come true. One humanity, one family, living, loving, orbiting around one center. One love. And it's actually this that we pray for. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. So get excited about that because it's true and it's a really big deal. Let's cheer on the bringing about to the center of all of humanity and all of our lives, Jesus Christ, who is the only one who belongs in that place. So I mentioned this prayer just a second ago, and I think it's incredibly appropriate for us to close today's time together with this prayer. So I want to invite you to say this prayer with me. The, the words will be on the screen. This is the Lord's Prayer, and we'll pray 
as Jesus taught us to pray, saying this, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil and chaos. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.